بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في محكم تنزيله بعد أن أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين يا رب my dear respected brothers and elders in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We know that the most important obligation in our deen after studying the kalima shahada, ashadu ala ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah is salah itself. It is a rasul ibadat, the highest form of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first thing a person will have to give an account for on the Day of Judgment. And it is the position of Islam, in the position of Salah in Islam is like that of the head in the body. As Rasulullah said, the position of Salah in Islam is like that of the head in the body. And in this Salah that we perform, fulfilling this obligation, in every single rak'ah, we are obligated to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, La salata illa bi fatiha kitab. There is no salah without Surah Al-Fatiha. In every rak'ah, in the first rak'ah, second rak'ah, third rak'ah, fourth rak'ah, whether it's farad or nafal, whether it's wajib or sunnah, whether it's jum'ah or dhuhr, whether it's isha or taraweeh, whatever the salah we may be performing, we recite Surah Fatiha in every rak'ah. If you're performing 20 rak'ah al taraweeh, then 20 times we recite Surah Fatiha. The same surah every single time, in every rak'ah. And in this, we are asking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after praising Him and thanking Him for His blessings and glorifying Him, then what do we do? We are seeking guidance from Him. We make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. And then this straight path that we are seeking guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is further defined and qualified and described. صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ The path of those whom you have favored. So they are people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has selected them and Allah has showed His pleasure regarding them and we are seeking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we should be able to follow their path. Who are those? They are the Anbiya, Nabiyyin, Siddiqeen, Shuhada, and Salihin. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself defines them, identifies them. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ أَنَعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَالِحِينَ Indeed, those whom Allah has favored, they are the prophets of Allah, the Siddiqeen, the righteous followers of the prophets, the shuhada, the, those who gave their life for the sake of Allah, and salihin, the righteous ones. They are the best companions a person can ever hope to have in Jannah. But then, it does not stop there. Further, it is defined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين. Not the path of those who have earned the anger of Allah, nor the path of those who have gone astray. Not the path of those who have earned the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nor the path of those who have gone astray. So these two specific groups have been identified. And this is worth consideration. We should ponder over this, we should reflect on this, that why are these two groups mentioned here? And who are they being, uh, who, are Allah, uh, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referring to? And why is He singling these two out? The scholars they explain for us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is defining for us that all of us in our lives we are undergoing two different types of trials. 
two different types of tests. One is the test of shubuhat, and one is the test of shahawat. Fitna to shubuhat and fitna to shahawat. What are fitna to shubuhat? Fitna to shubuhat are tests pertaining to doubts, intellectual doubts that creep into our faith. These are called shubuhat. So a person begins to have doubt in his faith. He begins to doubt the existence of the Creator. He begins to doubt in the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He begins to doubt in the veracity of the Book of Allah, that truly this is the revealed word of Allah. These, these are not made up words. Muhammad did not come up with these words on his own. These are definitely the words of Allah. He has, begins to have doubts regarding that. He has, begins to have doubts regarding the prophethood of Muhammad how do I truly know he was a prophet of Allah? These types of doubts start creeping up. A person becomes confused with regards to his aqidah, with regard to his belief. And this is a very dangerous trial. Because this could actually take a person out of the fold of Islam itself. And then the second trial is fitnatu shahawat. Shahawat are the carnal desires of the inner of the self, the lower base self. Shahawat are the desires of the flesh, the sins of the flesh. Where the, the first category dealt with intellectual doubts in the mind a person is confused. Second one is a person may not be confused mentally. He knows what's right and wrong. He has no ambiguity in knowing what is the right thing to do, what is the wrong thing to do. Yet despite knowing what's right and wrong, he is not able to conquer his inner desires and knowingly without any confusion he ends up doing wrong things disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it could include hurting himself or hurting others not fulfilling the rights of Allah not fulfilling the rights of the fellow human beings this is the problem of shahwat following the desires the shahwat in nafsaniyah inner desires so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is identifying for us that if you want to be on the straight path and if you seek the straight path, Sirat al-Mustaqim, we have to ensure that we do not fall into these two traps. And then he mentions two groups in the past who fell prey to these respective trials. They lost in this battle. They were not able to come out of this test successfully. They failed. One is the Nasara and one is the Yahud. So the first one... The Yahud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they had no ambiguity, no cloudiness in their understanding. They were very, very clear. They had clear understanding what is truth and what is false. Who are the Anbiya alayhim salam? Who are the Prophets of Allah? And what are their teachings are? Yet, because of hasad, jealousy, because of kibber, arrogance, because of these inner sicknesses, they were not able to accept the truth. In fact, beyond rejecting the Prophets of Allah, they assassinated the Prophets of Allah. They used to kill the Prophets of Allah. Zakariya salam was assassinated, the Prophet of Allah. He was cut in half. He is a Prophet of Allah, but he was assassinated. Yahya was beheaded. Many of the Prophets of Allah were killed by these people. Knowing that, that this is a genuine prophet of Allah and he's speaking on behalf of Allah, he comes with the guidance from God, yet they are disobeying him, not disobeying him, disbelieving in him, beyond refuting and disbelieving, they are actually ended up killing those prophets. So this is the people who earn the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ Those who earn the anger of Allah. And this group is 
described in the first surah that follows, Surah Al-Baqarah, in the next chapter. It's the entire detailed description of the Yahud. وَلَضَّالِّينَ And those who went astray, these are the Nasara, they are mentioned in the following surah, Surah Ali Imran, at the time of Isa alayhi salam. The first group, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبَاءُوا بِغَضَبٍ عَلَىٰ غَضَبٍ They earned the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because despite understanding what is the truth, they chose to reject it. Based on not liking the truth, based on the nafs, based on kibber and arrogance. When he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when he migrated to Medina Munawwara, then the Yehud who were living in Medina Munawwara, they recognized him. They knew him to be the Prophet of Allah. As all the signs that had been foretold in the Torah were fulfilled in his noble person. Allah says they recognized him and they had no doubt that he was a prophet of Allah just like a father has no doubt in recognizing his own son. Yet when the, the prophet who came, the one they recognized him, they knew him to be the final prophet they had been waiting for, yet they denied him because why is he from the Bani Ismail, not from the Bani Israel? He came from the Arabs, he did not come from our family, so they rejected him. They were waiting for the final prophet to come from their family, from the Bani Israel, but he happened to be an Arab. So out of prejudice that why is this prophet from the Arab, not from our family, they chose to reject him despite recognizing him. The other extreme we have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned Surah Nas- uh, Ali Imran about the Nasara, is that they had the purest intentions, best wishes, cleanest hearts, most humble people. They did not have any ounce of arrogance. Very, very humble and soft people. But what happened is that there was a confusion regarding Isa alayhi salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that وَمَا قَتَلُوهُ وَمَا صَلَبُوهُ وَلَكِنْ شُبِّهَ لَهُمْ They did not kill Isa alayhi salam. They did not crucify Isa alayhi salam. Rather they fell into different doubts regarding him. Some people said he himself is God. Some people said no, he is one third of God. Some said he is son of God. Some said all different beliefs regarding Isa alayhi salam. Some said he is a prophet of God. No, there is only one God and He is a prophet. There, are, there was a minority who kept on to the, the belief that we maintain. So this was not out of spite out of, or out of uh, hatred of Isa This was because of confusion. They saw the, the miracles right from the birth, where the birth itself was a miraculous birth without a father. And thereafter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him those miracles that أُحِيَ الْمَوْتَى بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ I bring back the dead to life with the permission of Allah. And the one who is akmah is not only blind, but the one who was born blind, never had vision. It's not that the vision was weak and was restored, but rather the one who never had vision from birth, I am able to bring him vision, restore his vision with the permission of Allah. And the one who is a leper, I am able to cure him with the permission of Allah. And the extreme thing is Uhil Mota, even the one who is dead was brought back to life with the permission of Allah. So seeing all these miracles and seeing the birth being such a miraculous birth, all of these outward conditions led to confusion regarding his nature, and people ended up coming to such beliefs which are contrary to our correct belief of monotheism about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say Allah is the one. Allahu Samad, he is independent of his entire creation. And the entire creation is dependent upon him.
Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Neither he has any children nor is he begotten by any parents. Walam yakullahu kufuan ahad. None of his creation can ever be like unto him in any respect. Neither respect to his being or his attributes. He is absolutely independent from his entire creation. So they made a major, major blunder here. How did this happen? Because lack of knowledge, lack of clarity. So they, these are the two groups. We do not want to become one of those who fell prey, who fall prey to their passions and desires, having all the knowledge in the world. Nor do we want to become among those who have the purest hearts and intentions, but do not have clear vision and understanding and knowledge and end up committing errors as well and blunders. Major blunders in aqidah and belief. These are the two paths that we are specifically being called to seek protection from following their path. So how does this relate to us? Is that all of us in our own lives, we have to find that we are going through tests and trials. There is no one who is not going through a test or a trial. Everyone is going through tests and trials. There are those of us who have the fitna to shubahat, different doubts creep up in our minds about our beliefs. What is the solution to that? What is the solution to conquering this fitna to shubahat? Is that we have to acquire knowledge. The solution is ilm, ta'aleem. By acquiring knowledge, by attending durus of ulama, lectures of ulama, halaqat of ulama, learning the, studying the books written by scholars, all the doubts that we have have been answered by scholars. But we have to take the time out to go and search for the truth and learn it. So the, the solution to the first problem is that we have to acquire in. And the solution to the second problem of shahwat is that we have to acquire tazkiyah. Tazkiyah is purification of the heart. Tarbiyah of the nafs. Islah al-batin, tazkiyah al-ruh, islah al-nafs. All of these various words which mean the same thing. Is that despite having all the knowledge, being the greatest scholar, knowing everything, if a person does not purify his heart, is not able to conquer his inner desires and subjugate that nafs, that nafs, that internal force which is amara bisu, is propelling him, pushing him towards evil, then all the knowledge in the world will be of no avail. Iblis, the father of all the shayateen, he had great knowledge. He was mu'allim al-malaika, teacher of the angels. But despite having such great knowledge, he became rajim, shaitanul rajim, the cursed one. Ukhruj minha fa innaka rajim. You are expelled from the jannah, Allah said to him. You are cursed till the day of judgment. What led to his downfall is that despite having ilm, he did not have tazkiyah of nafs. He had kibar, arrogance. When he saw the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that makes sajda to Adam, he rebelled. You created me from fire, you created him from dirt. How can I ever bow down to the one created from dirt? He used his logic, which was helping him in his ilm, to understand concepts and to become a great student of knowledge. But that same logic, he now he applied it against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's order. Missing the basic logic that don't look at the nature of the command, look at who is giving the command. The command is issuing from Allah, so therefore it is worthy of acceptance and, sub, and we need to submit to that order. Do not look at the nature of the command and start to dissect it and see if it's appropriate or not. This basic logic escaped him. What blinded him was his arrogance. So each one of us has to look into our lives. Where are we failing? Is it due to lack of knowledge? We have very limited knowledge of the deen, my dear brothers and sisters of Islam. We are under this illusion that we have studied enough, we know what's right and wrong. 
those who are performing salah, those who are giving their zakah, those who are fasting the month of Ramadan, going for hajj multiple times, those who are practicing the deen, we are actually very, very far from fulfilling the farad requirement of how much knowledge of deen we require. Because ibadat and worship is just one part of our deen. First of all, even in fulfillment of these ibadat, there are many, many gaps with respect to our ilm. Performing the salah in the correct manner, discharging our zakah in the correct manner, performing our hajj and umrah in the correct manner. All of these ibadat, if you go back and study, you'll find that there are many gaps in our ilm. And, but our deen is not even limited to the ibadat. What about mu'amalat and dealings? What about mu'ashara and social life? What about akhlaq, character? What about adab, etiquettes? These are other branches of our deen in which we are completely at a loss. So there are many people who might be punctual in salah. And there might be a woman, for example, who recites the Qur'an every day when she was, and never misses her tahajjud salah. But she did not study the fiqh of, of nikah, the fiqh of divorce. The fiqh, she never had an opportunity. She does not know that, for example, maybe she was caught up in a, in a very troublesome marriage and Allah Ta'ala gave her najat and, and saved her from that, that she ended up getting free from that oppressive husband. Now due to the law of the land and the culture, she applies for marital support and alimony after marriage and she is now taking that money from that husband, ex-husband. But she never went and learned the fiqh of divorce. That what is, the what is the responsibility of a husband is to take care of the wife during marriage. Financially, taking care of the wife during marriage is the responsibility of the husband. And if the marriage terminates during the idda period, who knows that after the idda period it's haram for her to force the husband to pay for her throughout her, the rest of her life. After that, her fi the, financially, her responsibility is upon her father if he's earning, or brothers if they're earning, or older son if he's earning. But no one studies the fiqh of divorce. We barely study the fiqh of salah. Who has time to study the fiqh of divorce, fiqh of marriage? So now this person is eating haram money the entire life. The very righteous, pious woman who is performing tahajjud salah is living on haram income. Even though the court order might be there in her favor, it's still haram. Because the husband, if he, unless the husband, for example, for technically, if he from his own side, he says, okay, I want to support the mother of my children. If he decides to, that's, that's fine, that's great. It will make it halal for her. But if he doesn't want to, لا يحلو مالو امرئ مسلمين إلا عن طيب قلبين It is not halal for a Muslim. To, uh, it's not halal, the wealth of any Muslim, the property of any Muslim is not halal unless he is pleased to give it to you. If he's being forced to give it through a court order, and so many cases exist in our community, and... Um, you know, 50%, 60%, 80% of his income is going away. So this would not be halal. So who is going to teach the fiqh of divorce? We have to learn the fiqh. Whatever condition we might be in going through our lives, whatever business we might be involved in, a person might go to great lengths to ensure he buys 100% zabiha halal meat. But the income with which he's buying the halal meat is haram money. So with the haram money you buy halal meat. Or with the most halal income, you buy haram meat. At the end of the day, the, 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 what you're intake, what you're ingesting, what you're digesting, and what is becoming part of your body would be haram. So we have to ensure the way we earn is halal, the way we spend is halal, the way we worship Allah is halal is correct, the way we interact with each other is correct. Our fiqh mu'amalat. So there is a lot of knowledge that we are lacking as a community. We need to acquire that ilm. 
this will remove all the shubhat and doubts that we have. In ilm regarding our aqaid, our beliefs. What does it mean when we say Amantu billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rasulihi wa liyawmil akhiri wa qadri khayri wa sharrihi min Allah ta'ala wa al-ba'ati ba'd al-mawt. What does it mean to believe in Allah? What does it mean to believe in his that and his being and his sifat and his attributes? What is a tawheed of rububiyyah, tawheed of uluhiyyah? What does it mean to really believe in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Due to lack of knowledge, a person might end up falling into shirk. Taking the attribute of Allah which belongs only to him and giving it to someone else is also shirk. A person says, I believe in one God, but those attributes that belong to the one God, I assign it to someone else besides God, is now again shirk as well. Shirk in the sifat. Allah alone is alim al ghaybi wa shahada. And if you take the knowledge of ilm al ghaybi and give it to someone else. Only Allah we seek help from directly. But if you start calling on to others who are not present, asking them for help, we say, Ya Ali, come to our help, Al Madad. Ya Abdul Qadir, come to our help, Al Jilani, Rahimullah. So now we are calling to someone else besides Allah and seeking help from Ghayrullah. This is now falling into shirk. Why? Because they did not acquire knowledge. And then the second one, Shahwat, is desire is that now a person has all the knowledge. He knows what the correct aqidah is. He knows how to perform salah correctly. He knows how to marry correctly and, and what are the fiqh of dealing and earning and, and spending, etc., etc. After acquiring all the knowledge in the world, then he has to have the inner willpower to practice on the dictates of that knowledge. Just acquiring the knowledge is not sufficient. He has to conquer that nafs from inside which will push him to not follow those teachings. And how will he do that? Through the tazkiyah. What is tazkiyah? Through dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Through remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Through different mujahadat and sacrifices to conquer that nafs which is pushing him in the wrong direction. This nafs, if we leave it in its natural state, it will push us toward the fire of Jahannam. But if you work on it, then it can take you towards fujur or it can take you towards taqwa. It can take you towards the disobedience of Allah or it can take you towards the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after you work on it. Whoever has subdued this nafs qad aflaha man zakaha whoever has purified it indeed he is a successful one wa qad khaba man dasaha and the one who left it and allowed it to be, remain tarnished he will be indeed be unsuccessful in fact they said that man izdad ilman wa lam yazdad zuhdan lam yazdad min allah illa bu'dan the one who acquires more and more ilm but he does not acquire zuhd and taqwa and tazkiyah along with it then he is only increasing and being further and further away from Allah. Man is that zuhda, man is that ilma, wa lam yazad zuhda, lam yazad min Allah illa bu'da. The one who acquired more knowledge, but he did not acquire the tarbiyah and tazkiyah and rectification of his soul as well, along with it. Then he is now only become farther and farther away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remaining in the company of the pious individuals and doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala daily and uh, depriving the nafs of these desires These are all different tools to subjugate the nafs Which is necessary for our najah That is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Conclude with in, in surah wal-asr By swearing by time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says All mankind is in utter loss Except for those who believe and do righteous deeds They are the only ones who are saved from the destruction 
beginning the surah by saying that by time itself all of mankind is headed towards utter destruction except for those who believe and do righteous deeds so these are the only two conditions actually for success iman and amal salihah belief in righteous deeds everything is already included therein but then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically mentions two وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ Inviting one another towards haq and inviting one another towards sabr. And Ibn, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimullah, he mentions a beautiful point here. He says that inviting towards sabr and inviting towards haq and inviting towards sabr, aren't these already included in amal salihat? Are they good deeds or bad deeds? Naturally, everyone will agree they are good deeds. So, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Except for those who believe in do righteous deeds. وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ was already included there. Then why are they mentioned again? He said they are mentioned again to specifically invite our attention and arrest our attention, take our attention towards the two trials. Fitnath al-Shubuhat and Shahwat. The Maghdubi alayhim al-Dalleen, the ones that they failed in. The trials of doubts and desires. Lack of knowledge and lack of tarbiyah of the nafs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's why he reminded us. That tawasaw bil haq, invite towards haq, invite to, inviting each other towards haq, this will remove your shubuhat in doubts. The more you talk about Allah, the more you talk about the greatness of Allah, the more you talk about the angels of Allah, the more you talk about the day of judgment, the more you talk about the beliefs and aqaid, then all your shubahat and your doubts will vanish. That's why tawasub al-haq is a solution to the first problem. So we don't become maghdubi alayhim. So we don't, so we don't become the dhalim. So we don't become those who are gone astray, who don't have knowledge. That's why tawasub al-haq. And number two is tawasub al-sabr. Tawasub al-sabr is that how can we conquer the nafs. Sabar doesn't just mean to be patient at the time of calamity. Sabar also means uh, to conquer the nafs. So conquering the nafs is a way to overcome the shahwat and the passions. This is the reason why these two have been mentioned separately. So how can we inshallah we be successful in conquering our nafs is through tawasub al-sabar. Inviting each other to be patient at the time of trials. And how can we remove the, all the jungle of doubts and clear that? is by tawasub al-haq, inviting one another towards haq. And in conclusion, let us all look into our own lives and we see that there is a great amount of effort that is still required on both of these lines and both of these fronts. And if we engage in these efforts, inshallah, hopefully we can be successful. We will not be, inshallah, among madhu alayhim, those who earn the anger of Allah, nor among those who win astray, the dhalin. Rather, inshallah, we will be raised with those an'amta alayhim, those whom Allah has favored, those who are on the sirat al-mustaqeem. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among them. Wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillah.